This is Cambridge Judge Business School's online knowledge centre with expert commentary, analysis and insights into the issues of the day. Despite repeated predictions that the days of the Eurozone are numbered, the currency union has survived far longer than many thought it could. A year ago, when the sovereign debt crisis was at its height, economists working inside and outside the Eurozone were asked if it would last for a further 12 months. 79% of those inside the zone said it would. Of those outside, less than 50% thought it could. Pressure is piling up again, with Portugal facing a massive financial crisis and the Greek government resuming discussions with international lenders over its austerity programme. Macroeconomist Michael Kitson has been monitoring the Eurozone developments very closely and told a CBAM Global Business Symposium entitled Wither Europe that the euro will die. It's only a question of when. I think there's still real problems for the euro and I actually think it's likely the euro will collapse. The difficult question is when it will collapse because the euro policymakers have been really papering over the cracks in terms of the, the eurozone. The eurozone has real problems because it's locking very different countries into a single currency the single monetary policy regime and tight fiscal rules. That creates real problems for many of the countries of the Eurozone. The way they really need to get out of their problem is to to actually devalue their currency, to have a lower exchange rate and to have looser monetary policy. They're really caught in a trap at the moment. No matter how good a painter and decorator you are, you can only paper over the cracks to a certain degree. That's correct. They've been papering over the cracks with some degree of financial support, but that's really not tenable in the long run. Really, for the Eurozone, it's got really two options. One, it has an integrated fiscal system where you have a a European tax and spend system, not fiscal rules, but fiscal integration, as individual countries do. That's very unlikely. If you don't have a fiscally integrated system, then the next choice is really you have single currencies and the eurozone will collapse. I think the eurozone might stagger on for a few more years, but eventually it will collapse. And we've seen this in the past. We've seen historical precedents for this. If we go back to the 1920s, we had something called the gold standard. Virtually the whole of the world economy was locked into the gold standard, basically a fixed exchange rate regime. Once one country decided to leave, the whole system unraveled. And that country was the United Kingdom in 1931. I think... It's very likely the Eurozone will collapse. The very difficult question is knowing when. Where will that leave us? I actually think if the Eurozone collapses, it it will be a problem in the short run. Um, It's very difficult to have an orderly um, withdrawal from the single currency. It will cause financial instability. But in the long run, it will be better for Europe and better for Great Britain. Because if individual countries have some control over their macroeconomy, they can generate economic growth. And a stronger Europe will be one one, one, which is a growing Europe. And that will be good for Europe and good for the UK because it's one of our major trading partners. You and your colleagues have been saying for some time now that, that austerity does not work. In this country, the Chancellor of the Exchequer is not listening to that message. What about other leading financiers around Europe? Are they beginning to listen or are they saying, no, it doesn't work, but we've got to stick with it? Well, well, let's have a look at Europe. Europe's really caught in a bind, particularly the Eurozone is caught in a bind because the, the Eurozone regime really requires austerity because countries are locked into this single currency and a single monetary policy, um, with much of the policy determined by Germany. Really, these individual countries are locked into this system and they've, austerity is, is very much the only option they've got until the Eurozone collapses. In the UK, we do have some discretion over our policy because we're not locked into a single currency. But because of dogma, uh, the current regime, the current government is following the policy of austerity at the moment, although they're failing in terms of generating growth. And they're also failing into trying to reach their budgetary targets. 
we can look at other countries, say the United States, they've been adopting more of an expansionary policy, more of what sometimes people call a Keynesian policy to deal with it. And they have had better growth of their economy and had better success in generating jobs. So would you advocate the Keynesian policy? I think, a Keynes, I think Keynesian policies would actually work. I mean, there's very little um, intellectual rigour or sustained empirical evidence to uh, show that austerity works. We've had a number of uh, arguments put forward in the past, and they've all shown to be flawed. Really, what we need to do is to get the economy going again. It's unlikely to come from consumers. It's unlikely to come from firms who are unlikely to invest if they cannot sell their products. we really got to put to government to try and get the economy growing again. How important is growth, not only in this country but across Europe as a whole, where, where largely there, there, are, there are good infrastructure networks in Europe, although it is slow to neutral growth in those individual countries? The importance of growth is it improves living standards, it improves the quality of life, it can improve what the goods and services we can buy, it can improve the education and health. And the particular problem at the moment is that in terms of austerity, in terms of economies that are flatlining, is that we're not all in it together. The real people who are suffering from austerity are particularly the unemployed. This is a real problem in the Eurozone countries, particularly for the young. The young under 25, many of them cannot get jobs. And if they cannot get jobs now, they may have real problems getting into the labour market in the future. So it's not just about the dry GDP figures. It's not just about uh, dry economic growth statistics. What's important is that it does affect the quality of people's life. And particularly the problem now is unemployment in the Eurozone area. Should we then, talking about the quality of life, be studying the, the likes of a place like Bhutan, where apparently it's the happiest country in the world? Well, there's, always, there's a big discussion about happiness. We need to move away from GDP, which is, of course, a flawed indicator. GDP is a flawed indicator. Uh, and then we should move to other indicators such as happiness. Um, these happiness indicators are very difficult to calculate and very difficult to compare across countries. Certainly, we need to look, perhaps, at new data about the quality of life, uh, about well-being, as well as just GDP. So say GDP is the measure we look at, it's the statistic we look at every month, every quarter, every year to see whether the economy is getting better. It's an imperfect indicator. Um, it doesn't capture all the things about the quality of life. It doesn't capture particularly things about the environment and whether we're damaging the environment. So we do need to look at a range of indicators. So GDP is flawed, but it's not bad. Michael Kitson, thank you very much. This programme was produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School as part of its online broadcast series.